Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right. Hey, welcome to Connect. I appreciate all you connectors being here. We're going to have a great time together today as we continue our walk through the Gospel of John and get God's Word into our life so that we can get God's word out of our life, into the world around us. Today, uh, we are going to be looking into John chapter 12, um, verses 20 through 36. If you have your Bible, you want to grab that and maybe something to write some notes with, um, because this is a pivotal uh, passage that we're that we're dealing with today. Um, and really, we're going to be looking at the power and the glory of the cross. Uh, we're going to be looking at the urgency of the times, and I will be addressing this question of how do you pray during a time of crisis? We know our world is in a in a critical stage right now, and um, and we're feeling a lot of tension, and we're feeling a lot of perhaps fear and anxiety. So, how do we pray during a time such as this, or something you're going through perhaps personally in your life? Uh, we know there's power in prayer, and so as we get into John chapter. 12 we see that um, that Jesus is he's talking about his his death that is coming at the end of the week even though we're spending many chapters this is the, all in the last week of Jesus life and um, many times you remember Jesus has said my hour has not yet come well now he's about to say the the time is here the time is here and he knew um, that that there was an urgency to what was happening at this moment. And so it says on, uh, basically, as we get into verse 20, let me just kind of set the stage with this. What we're going to see here is there were some some Greeks um, and, and the, the Gentile people, the, the Greek people, they represented the rest of us. It represents the whole world looking for Jesus. Let me read these verses. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So it's, it's kind of interesting the way this, uh, this, uh, the chain went at this point. The Greek people you know, they went to Philip, which Philip was a, a Greek name and maybe somebody that they could relate to, they could identify with. Uh, and so he was the disciple with this Greek name. And he went to tell Andrew and the message made it to Jesus. And in order for them to, to approach Jesus, they had to personally probably overcome some cultural barriers themselves, some even some stereotypes, some prejudice that they were dealing with. 
Um, but but ultimately, this represented the fact that the whole world very soon would be looking to Jesus, would know the name of Jesus, would come to know Jesus and and want to know Jesus. And so so that's what's that's what's happening here. And now we're kind of shifting. I want us to look at the power and the glory of the cross as we get into the rest of this passage. And uh, the, the verse 23 says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about going to the cross and uh, this on the cross, the humiliation of the cross, the the um, the horror of the cross. All of this was also um, his glory because this is why he came. And, and then in verse 24, um, very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so it was on the cross that Jesus gave his life, but as a result of his dying, um, much life, in fact, life was given to the world. And and then in uh, verse 25, he goes on, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so the cross makes a demand of us and that is to die to ourself, that we uh, lay down our life. And this is sort of the paradox. This is the paradox of Christianity, the paradox of the gospel, that we must lose our life if we want to find life. And the life that we lose is uh, temporary. It's not lasting, but the life that we gain is eternal. And uh, so, so you're trading in something that is um, is not not real life at all. It's it's just sort of existing for an abundance that you receive for life. And when we talk about eternal life, remember, um, it's not just the quantity of life because that's how we think of eternal life. We think of eternal life as life that goes on forever and ever and ever. And that is part of it. That's how much life. But there's also the question of what kind of life are we living? And Jesus says it's an abundant life. And that's the kind of life that you begin to live today. Once you step over that line of faith, give your heart and your life to Jesus, you are living on the other side of eternity. Imagine that. Now you know that your eternity is secure. And uh, so that brings a lot of joy, but um, but in order to um, in order to receive um, the uh, honor, uh, in order to receive honor and be assured of the presence of of God, he says in verse twenty six, he says, "Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be." My father will honor the one who serves me. And so he's saying that service is an important component. It's not just a decision that you make, a one-time walking the aisle, getting fire insurance, uh, um, that you're saved from hell uh, because you checked a box or you went to a class or 
you uh, prayed a prayer, you know, that was a one-time decision, but it has lasting implications for your life. And, uh, and he says, you're going to uh, serve, you want to serve God. And, and he, that comes with a promise that God is going to honor uh, the person who serves. Again, talking about laying down your life, because only a seed that is willing to die, in a sense, a seed as it goes into the ground, you know, it it ceases to be that the seed, it, it takes on new life as it turns into a, a plant. And so losing your life is the key to finding it. Now, you know, Jesus makes this shocking statement here. He says, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And there are a lot of people who have that that sort of attitude today of, I hate my life. I hate my life. You know, um, what? what is that? What is Jesus telling us? It's not that we should hate living. It's not that we should, you know, hate the fact that we're alive. Um, no, not at all. Um, we should hate our own self-centered life, uh, our own selfishness, our own self-focus, our own self-interest. That's the part of life that we should hate. The, the part of life that says it's all about, it's all about me. That's the part that, uh, that I should hate. This verse, verse really tells us that real faith, if I have real faith, it's going to lead me to obey, to, to, um, to do what God tells me to do, whatever it is that God asks. So if I love my life instead of loving God, um, then I begin to uh, value what I have. I, I begin to value um, my, my comfort and my convenience. And if I do that, if I live that kind of self-centered life, then yes, I'm going to live my life not Godward, but but. I'm, I'm living uh, uh, in a direction that, that points my life away from God. But somebody who's a real follower of Jesus, yes, in a sense, we don't consider our life the, the central thing. Um, it, it's not because it's not about me anymore. And, and it's hard for us to kind of see the distinction sometimes, but it really emphasizes what is most important. What is most important in my life? Um, am I, what do I love the most? In fact, loving God the most means that in comparison, you know, that I consider my life not as important because I become um, a servant of God to do whatever he asks me to do. Uh, that means that I'm willing to pick up my cross, carry my cross. Um, here's how one author puts it. He, he says, uh, Morris says like this, he says, John wants us to understand that loving life is a self-defeating process. It destroys the very life we want to hold on to. The one who loves his life is in the process of destroying his life right now. Um, and so, 
So the, the idea of hating, it points to the attitude that says that this life in and of itself isn't that valuable. It's only the God-filled life. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. In fact, I'm commenting now. It's only the life that's filled with God that, that is worth living. And so he goes on, the man whose priorities are right, or the woman whose priorities are right, has the attitude of love for the things of God, that it makes everything else in my life look, by comparison, like it's hatred, okay? So, so, and it's interesting because Jesus says you're going to live a life of service, and service comes before um, honor. Honor follows service. No one was honored for, for something they received, they're honored for something that they sacrifice. People get honored for something that they give. And if you want to get close to Jesus, then serve him. Get in, look and see what, what he's doing in our world. Look and see what he's doing in your church and begin to do that thing. You will get closer to him than, than any other way. And, and if you just say, well, I don't have time for that. I've got other more important priorities in my life then you will miss out on the honor that God wants to give you, okay? And so I want to encourage you, like step up in service, whether that's in your church, certainly you can do that. And you can serve throughout the week. You can serve your family. And, and Jesus calls us to a life of service, and that is to serve him, to serve him. Now, also, next, as we look at verse 27, as we look again to, to the meaning of the cross, the cross fulfills the purpose of Jesus in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Jesus understood very clearly his purpose, that, that at the end of the, the his life, at the end of the, the journey and the path that God had for him was the cross. Now, did he um, want to go to the cross? Um, I, you know, there's a sense in which no one would want that. And yet he knew that, that it was worth it. It was worth it to go to the cross because that is the reason he came to save the world. Then also we see in verse 28, the cross glorifies God's name. And I want to talk about this because I think this is churchy language that sometimes we have trouble understanding. But verse uh, 28 says, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. This really is the, the, the part where I wanted to talk about how do you pray when you're in crisis? How do you pray when your soul is uh, disturbed and troubled. See, there were three times that God the Father spoke audibly in the ministry of Jesus. One, at Jesus' baptism, where he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, at the transfiguration, he also said, this is my son, listen to him uh, on the mount. Uh, and then also um, here at this important moment, we hear the audible voice of God. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So, you know, we have a choice when we're in trouble, when we're in crisis, when somebody's going through something even that we love that's in our life. The choice is to either pray, 
God save me from this, God deliver me from this, or God glorify your name. And uh, what we want to pray, I think mostly is we want to pray, God, yes, glorify your name, but do it by saving me, by bringing me out of this situation. And sometimes that's how God works. Sometimes God uh, glorifies his name by removing the, the problem or removing us from the problem. But many times God glorifies his name through our trust in him as we go through the problem that we're facing. And so if you're facing a situation today, um, whether it is a health situation, a relationship situation, a financial situation, you know, whatever it is uh, that you're facing today, if God hasn't clearly revealed to you and shown you that he doesn't want you to go through this difficult, you know, valley or season, then go ahead and pray and pray, God, please deliver me from this, save me from this situation. But once God shows you that you will be going through this, that this is something. Now, again, you know, I don't believe God brings those those bad things into our life, but he's aware of them and he allows them to happen. Um, that nothing's going to come to you or, or at you that doesn't first pass through his loving hands. Um, so, so once you know, okay, I'm going to be going through this or someone I love is going to be going through this, then you can shift your prayer and you start to pray, God, bring glory to your name through this situation, through the way we respond, through the way we trust you, through the way you're going to work. And we use this word glory. The word glory, the Greek word is doxa. And it's used 19 times in the Gospel of John, 36 times John uses it total, and uh, 166 times in the whole of the New Testament. And, you know, Jesus, uh, want, he's, he's focused on giving glory to God the Father. And uh, glory begins with God the Father. It shines through Jesus into the lives of his followers. And eventually, we will also share in the glory of God in heaven. Um, and in um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is that they gave was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So to bring glory to God, and that refers to his nature, uh, his holiness, and um, Jesus shared in the Father's glory. And the greatest display of the glory of God was, you guessed it, on the cross. It was at the cross because that is the greatest work of God, the salvation of uh, his uh, people and the salvation of the world. And so um, we praise God when we give him glory and we acknowledge that he is the highest of all, that he is the most important uh, person, the most important being, the most important thought. Um, so so um, if you know, if you're going through a difficult, challenging, hurtful, painful situation, whether it's the loss of somebody you love, um, the loss of a job, 
something goes, it doesn't go according to the way you hoped it would go or according to your plan, then, you know, pray, pray, uh, God, bring glory to yourself through what I'm going through and bring glory to yourself by my trust in you. Bring glory to yourself by my, my hope in you or by my testimony for you, the, the words that I say and the, the way that I'm I'm speaking of what you're doing. And, and I, my prayer is that, God, people would see you and see your work and your hand on my life and see you in my life. Now, God, ultimately, he will answer prayers according to his will. And so we want to know what is God's will. God's will be done in our life. And the way to know God's will is by studying the word of God and getting to know God personally by getting to know Jesus. That's how you discover his will for your life. Now, verse 29, and again, we're in John chapter 12. The crowd that was there and heard it, (laughs) they heard the voice of God. They said, well, it was thunder. And others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit not mine. And um, then we see that the cross judges the world, judges the prince of this world, uh, the world and the prince of this world in verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. The hour had come. The time is for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Listen, our world stands under judgment because our world is not what it should be. Uh, the systems of the world, Um, not the physical world itself, uh, but the systems of the world, the world's system. Uh, The world was created as a perfect place as as God created it. But um, but we, you know, in, in in our culture, in our world today, we have sort of elevated the world um, to, you know, I, we want to see it be a utopia, but we, we want to, we need to understand the world is not what it should be. This is not how things were designed. Um, and the world is not permanent. It will not always be here. It wasn't always here. Uh, the world was created by God. The world is held in the hands of God. And one day God is going to bring this to an end. We don't know when, but we trust in his goodness. And the world is going to be changed and recreated into a new heaven and a new earth, just like God had planned originally. And so therefore, the world has to be judged. The world is stands in judgment um, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But even as you look at nature, we know it, it, people question God and God's goodness based on the fact that there are natural disasters. There are tsunamis and earthquakes and, and uh, you know, uh, just, just terrible disasters that happen. Well, that's all part of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, then also um, the, the world was, was broken. The world was broken. It's not like it should be. It we all fall short of God's glory and God's will for nature. We see this beautiful picture in, in the Bible that says the lion will lie down with the lamb. And we see 
a time when all things are at peace and there's no brokenness and there's no corruption. But, um, you know, the world as we look at it today, you know, is both beautiful, but it's also savage. There are times of peace, but there are times of storm. Um, There are some good things in our world, but there's also some very bad things. There are some right things and some evil things. Um, And so, so Romans 8 verses 19 and 20 reminds us that all creation is, is groaning and longing and waiting for the day when God restores um, creation. And so that's our hope that we're looking forward to. And it applies to our world as well as to us. But then also, um, as we look, he says, he says the prince of this world will be driven out. And um, so we see the world will be judged, but also Satan will be driven out. And uh, the prince of this world is, is, is a reference to the devil. And the cross represents the defeat of the devil. Uh, the devil uh, thought he had won on the cross. He thought he had won the victory, but it was Jesus who won the victory because see, God has given the devil a limited authority for a limited period of time. It's not for long, but uh, when Jesus gave his life, he defeated the works of the devil. When he rose again, he defeated the the schemes and the, the works of the devil. And then it goes on, the cross draws all people in verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Um, what a beautiful picture. He's drawing everyone. The gospel of Jesus has no boundaries, no racial, cultural uh, boundaries, no boundaries. It, it includes every person who will come to Jesus, all men, all women uh, are drawn, will be drawn. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to him. So as a, as a church, in your church, lift up Jesus. As you lift up Jesus, people will be drawn to Jesus. That's a promise from Jesus himself. And then also the cross reveals the true Messiah. Look at verse 34. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Once again, the crowd is confused, right? They expected that the Messiah to come would be one who would live forever. So how could because this this lifted up they knew that meant the cross and so they were confused and then in verse 35 Jesus told them you are going to have the light just a little while longer walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light and when he had finished speaking Jesus left and hid himself from them Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world, and he wants to bring light into the darkness of our world. He wants to bring light into your life, and he wants to shine his light through 
your life. And he's telling us, while you have the light, put your trust in the light of Jesus. Walk in the light and trust in the light. And if I'm looking for the light, I can't just look within myself. I can't find light in the darkness of my own life. I can't find light in the darkness of our world. There's no light available in our world. It is an empty, futile pursuit to try to find light where there is no light. There's only one true source of light, of the light of the world, and that is the light of Jesus. That's where you can find real light. And as you begin to receive his light and walk in his light, then you can shine your light to uh, the world around us and be lights for the world. What a what a great picture that we need to be about stomping out the darkness, pushing back the darkness in our spheres of influence, whether that's in your family, your workplace, your community, and, and even as you're traveling, you are sh- taking the light of Jesus with you. And not everybody likes to, to receive the light, you know, because the light exposes the darkness. So it's not that everybody's going to applaud, but we need light. We need light today more than ever in order to see. So let your light shine as you walk in the light of Jesus today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the light that comes from Jesus. Thank you for the glory and the power of the cross where you are most glorified. God, may our lives glorify you. Even our difficult situations that we're going through, even our hard situations that we face, God, you can be glorified in the darkest of times, in the darkest of situations, because you are light and you give us light. You give us hope. Help us to trust in you more and reflect that to the world around us. We thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you have a blessed rest of the week. And I can't wait to see you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast.